Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstanford as he continues our series, The Test, a study in the book of James. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the web. We hope God uses it to encourage and challenge you. We also encourage you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. When was the last time you had a slip of the tongue? You didn't mean it, it just slipped, and what came out caused a conflict between you and someone else. Maybe that relationship hasn't recovered since, it's not, never quite the same. How about the last time you said something nice to someone and you can tell in that moment that it meant a lot to them? Why is that? Why can something as small as a word or phrase be so devastating or uplifting? The tongue can be used to destroy or encourage. The choice as to how to use it is up to you. Whichever way you choose illustrates what you're all about. We've been studying in James what a genuine faith looks like. Today we will see how that applies to the tongue. How can you use your tongue for the gospel of Jesus? Does your faith, in fact, pass the test? We will learn this morning that the testing of our tongue shows whose wisdom we follow. Let's listen in together. Good morning, church. Yes. I remember a uh, a particularly warm October day. Um, I was living in Virginia, and the leaves up there do this really cool thing where when it gets to that time of year, they change colors, and they look really, really pretty before they fall off. We don't really have that in Florida. But I remember... A warm October day, and actually now that I think about it, it might have been unseasonably warm. I might have just been sweating bullets. <laughs> yes. It's a, a really small word, only three letters. But Webster says that it's defined as giving an affirmation, agreeing to something. I remember on that particularly warm October morning, standing on a bridge in an ill-fitting tuxedo with my hair slicked back. I remember looking at all the joggers running by and just kind of being embarrassed. I was out of place. But I wasn't waiting for the joggers. I was waiting for Jesse. And I remember sweating bullets as she came around that bend in the path. And she saw me standing in the middle of this bridge and her friend, whom I had you know, paid off to take pictures for me, kind of snuck behind the bushes. And she walked down the bridge. She's not even in the room right now. This is really good. <laughs> and she walked across, she walked down the bridge, and she's really surprised because it had been a while since we'd seen each other. She was living in a different part of the state. And um, as she got close to me, obviously it's weird, but then she saw that I was holding a little box. And so... Sweating, clammy, all the things. I got down on one knee, and 
I asked her if she would marry me. And here's the point of the story where you understand the power of a word as little as yes. Because of all the options on Jesse's table of life options at that point, I don't think I was the best one. <laughs> she, had, she had gotten a really, really good job in a good school district, and she was great at it. Her faculty loved her, the, the administration loved her, her students loved her, and she was, she was really good at it. And I loved her too, um, but I didn't offer the same degree of, uh, let's say, stability. Um, my plan at the time, as a senior in college, was to stop my schooling, finish my schooling in Virginia, move to Indiana, where I would get more school, but I didn't have a job, didn't have any skills that could get me a job. I didn't have any kind of a plan for what that might look like. I didn't have any money, and school wasn't going to be free. So little words like yes can determine a lot about where you're going, who you will become, um, what people, what little people you have to deal with on a daily basis from then on. And it will reveal what you value. She did say yes, and spoiler alert. <laughs> and it's been a really, really great couple of years. But this morning, we're, we're, we're going to take a deep dive, and I invite you to engage with me in this study of how we speak and what we say, what that reveals about who we are and what we value, because the testing of our tongue shows whose wisdom we follow. We're going to be in James chapter 3 this morning. So if you join me there, either flip there or tap there. If you need a Bible, we've got these story Bibles here, and it's on page 852 if you're using one of our house story Bibles, 852. We're going to be in James chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. James 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. In these verses here, we see that our tongue has disproportionate effects. Disproportionate. Really, really little part of us, really little part of our body, and yet has ripple effects that carry farther than we could ever go, or ever perceive to begin with. Our tongue is a small member and yet boasts of great things. Now, I'm tempted because when I, when I heard this in youth group, I thought we were talking about curse words. 
What are, what's, the, what's the vocabulary that we're using? It's not just about vocabulary. It's not about the words that we say precisely. So to demonstrate this point, I'd like for you to take a look at the gentleman in the picture. What do you think the vocabulary he's using is? He's mad. What about if he was screaming, I love you. Those are the right words, right? I love you. What do we know implicitly about that picture? He's angry. How do we know that? Just his his face and his expression. He's got the right words. I love you! We don't believe him, do we? No, we don't. See, our tongue is not just the vocabulary that we use, it's also the way that we use it. It's, it's, it's our body language, it's how we bring something about, um, is th- these ideas, and that, like, I thought that curse words were a real big deal when, when I was in youth group. Like, I thought, I can't, I can't control my vocabulary. It's just too strong. I, live, I go to public school. Kids are cursing all the time. I can't do it. But as I studied this and I realized, especially as we go further into the chapter, that it's not just about the words that we're using. Are we using good, wholesome words, good, wholesome talk? But are we doing it in a manner that's consistent with the words that we're saying? Because, I'll grab a chair here. I love you. I care about you. I really want you to follow Jesus. Do you believe me? Sure, yeah, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but your arms are crossed. You're not meeting me when I'm in need. You're just blah, blah. So our tongue has disproportionate effects, and I'm using the tongue as, as an image for all of the ways that we speak, the, the ideas that we communicate. Are we communicating acts of, are we communicating things of love with loving vocabulary, loving actions? Are the things that we say inconsistent with what we're doing? Because there are times where we communicate bad things. (laughs) And that's kind of the point that he is driving at in this first part of the chapter. He says, we all stumble in many ways, but if he can control what he says, he's a perfect man, and the self-control overall is in the bag. Not that any of us have attained this. But But the idea is our tongue has disproportionate effects. So, note that he starts with teachers. Now, many of us should become teachers, for we know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Don't put yourself in a... If you put yourself in a position where you speak more, you have more words, there's more to be judged by. So he starts with the teachers first, but he's not saying this is just for them. Any of us who speak... Raise your hand if you've spoken this week. Uh-huh. Some of y'all are lying right now. Yeah. I've spoken this week. Okay, you're not teaching, quote-unquote. You're not up here preaching, but you've spoken. Don't, don't 
if you're teaching more, then you'll be judged more and be judged more by greater strictness. But that idea carries all the way throughout because our tongue has disproportionate effects. And I want to draw us back to chapter 1, verse 19, because he says very clearly, let every person be... You can read it. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. He's coming back to it. He just mentioned it as he was going along in chapter 1, but he's coming back here and says, Hey, 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 don't be quick to speak. Not many of you should become teachers unless you have first been quick to hear because our tongue has disproportionate effects. Let's continue reading. I'm going to pick up in verse 6, although your paragraph is broken a little bit differently in the English Standard Version. In verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Our words betray any double-minded thinking. The tongue is set among our members. The tongue is like the tip of the iceberg where our sinful nature sets. When we get put into trials, you'll remember that concept also from chapter 1, when we get put into trials, how we respond in those moments often comes with what we like to call biting our tongue. Somebody comes at you and they're yelling at you about how much you're a failure or how much you're not meeting their expectations or meeting their needs or whatever it is, how you respond, you can bite back or you can bite your tongue. Our tongue is like the manifestation of our sinful nature. It's the first line that we have to fight, right? And authentic or genuine faith, which we've been talking about uh, throughout these chapters, it's unified. It understands the concepts of the Word of God, and then it acts them out. It has listened and then speaks. Look at verse 9 with me. With it being our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. See, we've just studied together what the image of God is, uh, being anchored on the unseen image of the invisible God. We as representatives of God in the world, what does that mean for us? And in doing so, we can build ourselves up and say, I am made in the image of God, and I'm going to go out there and represent God to the world. But in doing so, we may also step on other people who also bear 
the image. And that is a divided mind. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, tossed back and forth, he says in chapter 1, is divided. He doesn't know which way he's going. Am I regarding people as created in the image of God and speaking to them as if they deserve respect? Or am I speaking to people as if they don't deserve any kind of respect? They're just, you know, garbage. And I want to ask a little question here. And I'm going to ask it as a question because I think saying that it's in the text is a little bit of a stretch. But I find it interesting that James goes on and on and on about the tongue and how out of control our tongue can be, how we can break down and beat down other people with the words that we say. And yet God uses the image of the word to describe what Jesus does in the world. Where we wrestle against our tongue, God sends the word the expression of his tongue to show compassion, to speak truth in kindness, to show sacrificial love. And the word is greater than our tongue. If anyone can control his tongue, he's a perfect man. Well, I think all of us what we like to say, put our foot in our mouth before. We've said something we didn't mean, or we said something that we meant, and that was a good thing, but we said it the wrong way. If any man can control his tongue, he's perfect. Well, we have an example of what that looked like. The Word of God. Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And I'd like... To bring this back to what Pat shared with us last week, what Patrick shared with us last week. He says in chapter 2, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? He's talking about what? A worship gathering and people coming in. I think it's interesting that he goes from there to here. How do you speak when people who are created in the image of God are coming into your worship gatherings, whether they're dressed up, and nice, dressed up and nice, have my seat. Or if they're shoddy and need a shower. How do we greet people? Grace Church, how do we greet people when they come in? Friendly? Yeah, good. That's good. I agree with you. But it's a question that we need to continue to ask. Are we here focused in on ourselves so that me and my faith can get straight? Or are we taking our faith and working it out among other people? Are we greeting people who may or may not have ever had any exposure to Jesus or God that just happened to walk in? Are we going outside of ourselves to reach them and show them love with our tongue? Not just our vocabulary. I love you. I care about what God's doing in your life. Don't talk to me. Not just with our vocabulary, but also with our action. Because people are made in the image of God, and God wants to bring them back to himself. So what does that look like for guests at Grace Church? People whom we don't know yet, 
or people whom you might know but you don't? Would you bring a friend in? Would you trust the body to greet your friend? Now with a salty tongue, salty attitude, I have to do it this way. I have to be nice to you because I've never seen you before. But with the grace of Jesus, can a spring pour forth fresh water and salt water? If I, if I have a, wa- a cup of water, I did this, well, we did this in Bible Fellowship a couple months ago, and I did this with the kids then, I gave them a little cup with some salt water in it and asked them to drink it. They didn't like it. I said, okay, well, I'll put some fresh water in there. And I put fresh water and filled up the rest of the cup. Guess what? They still didn't like it. Salt has a way of permeating the whole thing. It goes throughout. Is there saltiness in the way that we're speaking with other people? Let's not be deceived that we can narrow it down and isolate and, and um, box people away. I'm nice at church. Or I'm nice at work to those people. Or I'm nice when I go to the grocery store to the people that are bagging my groceries. But don't ask me to be nice to my family member because those people are crazy. Don't ask me to be nice to that person at church who disagrees with me about the color of the carpet. Like silly stuff. Our speech... Our attitude towards life is going to permeate all throughout. To further make that point, let's continue reading. Chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Our conduct, our attitude towards life, what we are doing shows whose wisdom we follow. Now, implicit in this, there's more than one kind of wisdom here. He says there's a wisdom that comes from above, and there's a wisdom that is earthly. What else did he say came from above? Do you remember in chapter 1? Every good gift comes down from above. Wisdom is a good gift when it comes down from above. But there's also this other kind of wisdom that kind of makes a little bit of sense to us. It says, I just need to look out for myself, you know, I need to make sure I take care of myself first, and and then I can, you know, deal with other people, or things like that. Um, 
And it's true that you need to take care of yourself. You cannot care for others if you yourself have not been taken care of. But there is a cop-out in there where we can convince ourselves that what we're doing for ourselves is actually for other people, even though it's for ourselves. And here's where I get into the murky part of my heart. I won't say it's your heart. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But in my heart, there's a murky part where I'm trying to do something for the right reason and can't figure out if it's the right reason or the wrong reason. That happens to me. It's a struggle. But our conduct shows whose wisdom we follow. Do we follow the earthly wisdom, which is concerned with myself and building myself up and making sure I look good, making sure I've done the right thing, or the good gift of wisdom that comes from above, which is what? Sincere. Not just saying the right words, but it's coming out of you and who you are. Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show works in the meekness of wisdom. In verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I get it. I've got five small people whom I'm responsible for who can't really take care of themselves. My life on a day-to-day basis, doesn't necessarily look like the picture postcard of peace. There are hard things that we have to deal with. There's conflict that comes up. And peace is not the absence of conflict. This is hearkening back to an Old Testament word that's super loaded of shalom, peace, where God is in control of all things whatever conflict might be going on. So it's the perspective, the eternal perspective, that God is in control, that guides our life. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do we want to make peace? Are we people who are looking to represent God's control in the world? in every situation, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're out in the community hanging out with our friends that we've met. Because we were made at peace first. Some days it doesn't really feel like it. But at one point, I believe for all of us here this morning, at one point, We were hostile to God. We didn't want anything to do with him. We thought that he was just a control freak who wanted to micromanage our lives and didn't have any idea of what fun could be. And we hated him. And at some point we came to understand the offer that Jesus gives 
that we can be completely reconciled to God, that the anger that we had towards God and the anger that God had towards us because of our unrighteousness, those things could be forgiven and we could have peace with God. If God is willing to make peace with you, give you perfect, ultimate, eternal peace, then what right do you have in the world to not extend that peace to other people who may or may not know it yet? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. We should be the ambassadors for peace. And that, in and of itself, is a loaded statement in the context of our culture right now. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of craziness. I'll just, behind the scenes a little bit, when I was looking for a picture here, I put in peacemaker in Google. You know what I found? Gun. There's a gun called the Peacemaker, which I thought was funny at first, and then I thought, oh my gosh. Do you realize that our culture's understanding of what a peacemaker is, is a revolver? It might be a great gun, but I don't think that that's what James is talking about here when he invites us to be peacemakers. One brings death, another gives life. To whom are we extending life this week? There are people who are so needy, it can drive us crazy. But are we extending peace to them? I stand in a right relationship with God because of Jesus. The word is greater than my tongue. He has transformed my attitude and my demeanor. He has become a part of me, and now that is flowing out to the world. So to take a step back, our conduct and our tongue are tied closely together. And it drives us crazy when it's not, and I know this. How many of you guys have had a boss and you've been complaining to another coworker. He said he was going to do that, but then he went over here and did this. Like, it drives us crazy when what we say doesn't match up with what we're doing. We like to call those people hypocrites. A lot of people will say the church is full of them, but I see them everywhere I go. We don't have the corner of the market on hypocrites. It's everywhere. But what I'm saying is what we say and what we do are tied closely together. It's, it's, it's the cutting edge of who we are is how we speak. So what is flowing out of you? What are you pouring into yourself? Are you asking God to fill you with the Spirit that it can flow out to you throughout the rest of the day, throughout the rest of the week? Because that's what we do when we gather here on Sunday mornings. We're asking for God to fill us as a body collectively so that we can go out individually into the world and represent that to the world. And we get depleted. And we come back. But it's the word, the word of God is greater than our tongue. Is that what's showing through in how we're living? So listen, listen to me. What I'm not saying is grit your teeth and say the right things this week. I love you. What I'm saying is 
We have to be transformed if these things are going to be true of us. Our tongue has disproportionate effects. How many of you have heard, have heard a small thing that you said at one point go all the way around and somebody is devastated because of something you said offhand? Our tongue has disproportionate effects and we don't often know where it's going. The Spirit of God can guide us and save us from things that we don't even know are possible to come out. So because our tongue has disproportionate effects and our words betray when we're double-minded, but our conduct show whose wisdom we follow. Our, the testing of our tongue shows whose wisdom we follow. So what I'm not asking you to do is to go home and try harder, to go into this week and try harder to say nice things to people. What I'm asking you to do is to turn to Jesus and say, this is where I fail. I was short with my wife this week. I didn't listen to that person as they tried to give me instructions or tried to help me. I wasn't patient with that person who was asking more of me. Jesus, this is who I am. You have already offered forgiveness. Would you now fill me with your word that I can live it out? Typically, here's the time where I'll, I'll say we're going to reflect on this and then we'll sing a song as we close. I had a real hard time trying to pick a song to sing when I've said, listen. So what I'm asking you to do is to do that now, to go to Jesus, speak with him, and seek to listen. We're going to sit quiet for a minute. And it's going to be awkward. What I'm asking you to do is deal with him before we do our commissions. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and his word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.